keep on docking you. Welcome to the Documenteers. And in this, our whatever numbered episode, whatever it says when you look at it, when it appears in your podcast app, iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, I think, the one that comes with an Android, we're on that. We're on most of them. And in this episode, Angela joins me, Bob Sham. Not really a true crime movie like we usually do, but one that kind of affects society or certain parts of society. We are talking about Alison Clayman's new Netflix documentary, Take Your Pills, about Adderall. Very informative movie. Within this episode, we discuss Keith from the CDD passed away, and the CDD is in some trouble. The CDD, of course, being the Center for the Documentation of Documentaries, informational think tank that documents us watching documentaries while they suffered a fire and Keith has passed away. We go into the details in the episode, but within the next couple of episodes, we will be probably have a, a memorial clip uh, for Keith, who sat with us for at least 15, 16 documenteers episodes. His name was Diddle. Uh, Keith Diddle. I don't know what's up with these guys' names, but that is Keith's last name, Keith Diddle and his family. He didn't have any kids. He wasn't married. He lived with his mother, and uh, we're all going to miss him. He was a hard worker and a good listener. I remember, you know, he asked me for some food, and I said, do you like cereal? And he said, yeah, I like cereal. And then I walk out, I go to the bathroom, and I come back, and he's eating a bowl of cereal but the rest of the cereal was dumped out all over the floor. I said, whoa, what happened? And he said, well, I was getting some cereal. And I'm like, yeah, it's all over the floor. He said, well, mine was at the bottom. And then he just stared at me. He did that so much. You know, he never hurt anyone, though. Keith was a good guy. And I felt bad because I didn't know his name for a while. I was calling him Richard. I think I called him Anthony when I first met him. But Keith Diddle has passed away. And just keep your thoughts with his family. And your, if you pray, pray for the people who care about Keith Diddle. We're going to go on into our film. <sighs> Take Your Pills by Allison Clayman. Rest in peace, Keith. Keep on docking. Now, here is a motion picture film. A thousand feet. 16,000 separate photographs. Let's tidy up this tangle of film by putting it on a reel. I take it right when I wake up, I keep it next to my toothbrush. It takes about 40 minutes to kick in, and you can feel it. I start to sweat. This is the flu session, I call it, because we've had the flu. Yes, we've had the flu. I'm sure that my voice sounds different than normal because I usually lose my voice, which I am okay right now, but it may go in and out as we talk more throughout this episode. I'll probably be editing out a lot of coughs in this episode. For yeah, for sure. I, I do just want to take a moment to talk about the fact that, yes, we both had the flu. We definitely had the flu. Bobby tested positive for the flu. They stuck a pipe cleaner up my nose and twisted it around. Yeah, it was really painful to watch and also, I'm sure, painful to have done. It's not the first time I've had the flu. That's the first time anyone's done that to my nose. I've never tested for the flu. When we were kids, you couldn't test for the flu. I guess it's a new thing. Yeah, which is which is great. Also, flu vaccines. I don't know when flu vaccines started. I don't remember ever getting a flu shot as a child, but as an adult, it's been a thing that I've done. And we did both get our flu shots this year. We were not... Well, like months ago, yeah. Yeah, months ago, but that should have been fine. I actually had mine pretty early, like in August or September. And I think you got yours in October or November. But it doesn't matter. What they said, and I believe this 100%, is that if we had not had the flu shot, 
our flu would have been way worse. And I cannot imagine the flu being worse than it was. I thought I was going to die one day. My temperature got up over 102 and I could not stop shaking. So it was pretty scary, but I'm thankful that I have my flu shot and everybody should get their flu shots. And just because we got the flu doesn't mean our flu shot didn't do anything. We could have been really laid out or even had to have been hospitalized if we had not had our flu shot. I think so, definitely. Because my night one was really bad and my night two was pretty bad, but it was like a little less each day. Yeah. And you got the Tamiflu, which I didn't even know was a thing, but there is actually medicine to help curb your flu symptoms. You are doing equally or better than I am right now. And you, and had you started late. Yeah. I like I have had it. I started on Sunday and you started on like Wednesday. I know a lot of people perceive the flu shot as something that should mean you don't get the flu at all. Not true. That's not actually how it works. Purpose of a flu shot is to help your body prepare for the virus in case it mutates within you and lets your body's immune system be prepared to tackle it if that virus does something like a curveball. Yeah. Got to remember in somewhere around World War One, millions of people dropped dead because of the flu. Yeah. That's kind of why we have that stuff. I say as someone who had a bad case of the flu and he, who had his flu shot, I want to get your flu shot. Definitely get your flu shot. And also, you need to get your flu shot for people who cannot get their flu shots. Yeah, that's mainly why you get vaccines. Yes, so that you are not spreading that disease to people who can't handle it. And obviously, the goal is to not get the flu. But if you do get the flu, at least it's not going to be as bad. Obviously, if you get it, you're still contagious if you've had the flu shot and you have to be careful around people. But it's just so important to get it. Always, always get it. And if you think you're afraid of shots, I have some people in my life who are afraid of shots and refuse to get flu shots. And I tell them every year that that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard of. And I think it's ridiculous. And I need to just handle it because shots are not that bad. And I know I'm someone who has tattoos. And so obviously I'm not afraid of needles. I get B12 shots every two weeks. So it's not a big deal for me. But you know what? If you're afraid of flu shot, you're a goddamn adult. Just suck that shit up. Look, I just want to tell people in all softness and seriousness for people who are afraid of needles. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, stop being a pussy. <laughs> and just do it. To add to that, if you really can't do needles, there's really still no excuse because there is a nasal spray. Really? Yeah. Does that work super fast? I don't know if it... There's a nasal spray flu For the flu shot. vaccine. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So to me, if you are refusing to do the shot, then there's still no excuse to not have a something. I don't know the statistics on, you know, if it's better, same, worse, whatever, but it's if, definitely better or everybody would do it. If you're used to snorting things, you should probably go that route. Like, for example, snorting crushed up Adderall. Yeah, snorting crushed up Adderall is not a thing that happened in the movie we saw today, but you know, I know some people have look, done there's it. there's some crushed up pills snorting by these college kids in this movie. Oh, sure. Before we go further. Yeah. I know you're not a big fan of the Center for the Documentation of Documentaries. I want to ask you a question about this because you said, because you looked at me. Mm-hmm. When when we brought up the CDD at dinner, and you looked at me, and I don't know, just maybe you could extrapolate what this means. You looked at me and said, "It's not funny. <laughs> it's not supposed to be funny, Angela. It's a, <laughs> it's a think tank that documents um, us documenting documentaries." <laughs> and then you said that everyone's tired of hearing about it. It's important. <laughs> um. So I guess uh, maybe I'm just upset about having a stranger constantly in my house. Because if we haven't ever made this clear, we record in our house. And so does everyone else. Stuart, this house and this room is not designed by a child. I do listen to these episodes. (laughs) This is my house. There are strangers in my house to record. Not strangers, people that I know. But I don't like the idea that there would be truly strangers just sitting in the corner of a room in my house, if listening Stu- to what I'm saying. If Stuart's criticism is going straight on by decor, he's not too far off. There's like toy hockey helmets over there. There's a, Those serve a purpose. They're for tracking There's a sign playoffs. that says no bully zone, which is wrong. I bully people all the time. In this here. is supposed to be a no bully zone. And there's your Hedwig poster. That I made for a Doug Loves Movies show. But I'm sure you've noticed... <laughs> You haven't mentioned anything. I thought you'd be happy, Keith. There's no Keith. There's no Keith? No. There's nobody here? You didn't 
You don't know, do you? What? You don't, You really don't know? I don't know what you're talking about. I thought you were being a little kind of weirdly casual. The CDD, the Center for the Documentation of Documentaries, their office, look, the CDD, they don't have a lot of money. They have a nameless donor. I still don't know who this person is. It's not me. Well, we know it's not you. So their office is a room out of the Raven Motel on Dickerson Pike here. Oh, okay. Yeah. You know the Raven Motel. Classic. Real nice, real classy part of town and everything. Mm -hmm. Right by a Taco Bell, I believe. So if you want like a tostada or a a double-decker burrito. And a blowjob. Or a blowjob, you can probably get one there too. (laughs) But it caught on fire. Their office caught on fire. Oh, God. Is Keith okay? No, Keith oh. was in the fire. I know. This is. I'm surprised you didn't know. I, I can see your. I shot. don't know this. You didn't tell me this. I thought you read the paper just like I did. I don't really stay up on current affairs. Everyone got out. It has about four employees. Okay. But Keith did not make it, and his body got burned up. But he did not die of the fire. They found a gas station egg roll lodged in his throat. <laughs> And they think he was microwaving something. Something went wrong, maybe some cross wires. And that room, that corner of the hotel just lit up and he choked to death on a gas station egg roll. While being burned to death? Well, he choked to death, died. Then a fire started because he probably wasn't watching something. Jesus. And then the fire took off. That sucks. And Dr. Eugene Fudge lost some records, which sucks. Yeah. And we lost Keith, which is the worst. That's the worst part. That's the worst part. R.I.P. Keith. But get this. They found inside of Keith, in his ass, a baby possum. What? It was still alive. What? It's in our garage right now. I call him Keith. Are you telling me that we have an ass possum? We have an ass possum. Living in our garage. No one can explain it. It's wild. It's is this be- not like just like a 90s Richard Gere with the gerbil situation? <laughs> I heard it died in Richard Gere. That's the difference. I actually heard that, that what Gere. I'm saying is actually not true. That's Richard, what I heard. But like. I heard it is true. Well, okay. Either way. But if Richard Gere. If there was a possum in Keith's butt, he put it there. I'm saying. R.I.P. Keith. So is the miracle that the ass possum is alive? The miracle is that Christ rose from the dead. Today. April Fool's Day. On April Fool's Day, the day Christ rose. Did you just April Fool's me about this whole situation with the possum in the butt? The possum in the butt was fake, yeah. Is Keith dead? Keith Keith is dead. Well, goddamn it. He will not rise. What about the CDD and Dr. Eugene Fudge and all the mix-track CDs, eight-track CDs? What are we going to do? Dr. Eugene Fudge will still... Most of his music collection is at his apartment, and he will still put together... 10-track unofficial soundtrack playlists on A-Track.com under right. Dr. Eugene Fudge. There's probably one for the episode we're doing tonight. Okay. Already. Okay. Called Take Your Pills by Allison Clayman about Adderall. But as far as the CDD, Dr. Melvin Munchies, he, he's the director. Melvin Munchies, Dr. Is Melvin Munchies. Eugene Fudge's boss? Yeah. Okay. He's everyone's boss at the CDD. And, um, Dr. Munchies is Dr. Fudge's boss. Dr. Melvin Munchies. And Willy Wonka takes notes. What? What is this crew I don't know people? what the fuck is wrong with their names. Okay. All these people come from a college in Paducah. It's like a, <laughs> a community college, community junior university state college. I don't know, hon. Okay. Paducah's a town in Kentucky. So what does this mean for us? Well, we still do what we do. And I guess Melvin Munchies, Dr. Melvin Munchies, Dr. Munchies, will get back to us if the CDD is going to keep going. We know Dr. Eugene Fudge is going to keep going with his playlists. But other than that, it's all up in the air. And if anyone wants to email prayers to... Email their prayers? Email their prayers to to documenteerspodcast at gmail.com. For Keith's family, we would be glad to forward those in a chain prayer email to the family. Okay. And we'll put something in that forces them to forward it to other people so that, like, this prayer won't get answered if you don't forward it to 10 other people. Just so to, we get more prayers. So we get more prayers. Gotcha. Gotcha. But the movie, now that we've gone through all that tragedy. So no more strangers in my house. 
No, no. Okay. Can we do one more business before we launch into the movie? Sure. There was a recent episode where at the very, very end, I came in and brought coffee (laughs) to Bobby and Stuart. And this was during the episode, or this was tagged on to the end of the episode where they talked about the Nintendo Quest. And they asked me what I rated that film. No, they asked me what I rated a film. And I said 2.5. I did not give Nintendo Quest a 2.5. That statement was taken out of context. You gave it a four. No, I gave it a zero. A zero? I gave Nintendo Quest a zero because it was pointless and annoying as fuck. The 2.5 was for Garage Band Trailer Park or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god you can't make me laugh because I, <coughs> I <know. laughs> heavy metal parking lot by john hayne yeah. and jeff Krulik. yeah <laughs> which we which is one of only two perfect documentaries i know so i know and and the more we've talked about it and actually after listening to the episode about it I would give it a higher rating. I just want to clear up that that 2.5 was meant for heavy metal parking lots and not in any way, shape, or form Nintendo Quest because that movie did not deserve it. No. Uh, yeah, I think it's our lowest scoring movie so far. Is it bad that uh, that an episode where we shit on something is, uh, I think, kind of maybe one of the best ones? No, not at all. But anyways, we're here to talk about another movie, a very informational movie. I learned a lot from this movie. This documentary you can find on Netflix. It came out very recently. Hey, what's up, Docs? Oh, my God. What's up, Docs? That's Docs (laughs) for the next. This is the fucking documenteers. We are the podcast with the Center for the Documentation of Documentaries. Rest in peace, Keith. R.I.P. Keith. We talk about documentaries. We love documentaries. Documentaries cover all basis of real life, are informative, and we love information. We love talking about documentaries, and we love delving into the subjects that these documentaries talk about. And the subject that we are talking about today is Adderall, the wonder drug. And this movie is an advertisement for Adderall, if I've ever watched one. It really is. (laughs) I... Do not agree with recreational use of medication. I'm not going to say I've never done it, but I don't agree with it. And yet, I think I want some. Was Adderall going around when you were in college? You're a bit more of an overachiever than I am. Was that a thing? No. In your circles? No, no, no. I mean, there was drugs going on with us, but we it wasn't Adderall. I probably took some at some point didn't even know i was doing it i know that i took some adderall at a party once but it wasn't to increase my like daily life it was at a party well i don't necessarily think that this movie was explicitly or the director allison clayman was explicitly trying to get us to do adderall no not at all she was just showing us this part of the world that you might not know about that in these high powered careers and these Ivy League schools where people are expected to be perfect all the time, that this is actually a giant problem, second only to opium in this country right now. Which is interesting because usually it's by the time this shit has hit this crowd that people start giving a shit. But Adderall is commonly prescribed to anyone with the actual ADHD condition. Right. But the thing about ADHD, while it is something that a lot of people struggle with, it's also very vaguely prescribed. Exactly. Vaguely diagnosed. They point out that it actually takes resources to kind of consistently get this stuff. Yeah, this is definitely a privileged drug. But not everyone we meet is like someone who is extraordinarily privileged. Uh, We meet Actually, people from all walks of life who are taking the drug for a myriad of reasons. That's true. A mother and her son, and the son is legitimately dealing with ADHD. We meet a young artist boy 
who literally has ADHD and struggles with it and actually has problems with the drug that he's been he's taking. Trying to get of off of life. it. Yeah. And he's a really good artist too. I was yeah. pretty impressed. I was with very him. impressed with him. The take your pills kind of theme actually came from his artwork. Whether Allison Clayman kind of meant this to happen or not, it kind of made me want to try it. It made me want to try it in that don't we all want to be better versions of ourselves and people that can get more done and be able to focus in on things better. I know that I personally deal with a lot of times when I get stressed out, I feel like my brain is going a mile a minute and there's too many things happening at one time. And the idea that you could take some medicine that would like kind of quiet all that down and help you like focus in and be the best version of yourself in that moment is very sexy. I was actually thinking that, but I didn't want to say that because that sounds weird. Like that's not the right word. Like desirable. I thought I was saying something stupid, but really. Well, because I couldn't think of the right word and I almost said that. So you just read my mind a little bit, but that's not really the direction, but it's desirable. But at the same time, when they describe what happens, I know that I personally would be scared to death of this because the very beginning of this movie, they talk about, it's this one girl we meet who is in an Ivy League school, is a very good student, comes from a family uh, that seemed to expect quite a bit from her as well. And she starts talking about how she keeps her Adderall next to her toothbrush. So it's the first thing she does in the morning and it kicks in after about 40 minutes and you start sweating and your heart accelerates. Again, we just had the flu. Yeah. We have a nebulizer because we both have asthma. When you use the nebulizer, you are ingesting steroids. The way the steroids make me feel creeps me the fuck out because I get sweaty and my heart beats fast and I feel a little out of control. And that's what I kind of likened this to when they were talking about it. But apparently that is followed in this situation with happiness and a warm, glowy satisfied, content feeling. Confident. I could see you getting addicted to this shit. Me, I'd be like, eh, I'm going to clean the basement. I'll yeah. take an Adderall today. But I could see you. So that's actually kind of why I've never taken anything like this. Because there was a period in college where I got hooked on like caffeine pills. <laughs> I know, but I did. I got hooked on caffeine like, pills. Uh, like what's your name from Saved by the Bell? I guess, but I didn't have my like... I'm- so I didn't have my I'm so excited, I'm so scared moment <laughs> like Jesse Spano. But I did have that happen in college. And also, I remember being in high school. I've always kind of been the kind of person who could be addicted to something like this. In high school, Empire Records was really huge. I graduated in like 98, so that was a big deal, that movie. And I remember sitting in a friend's basement, and we all watched Empire Records together. One, My best friend at the time turns to me and says oh, you're just like Liv Tyler's character. Meaning that I was so neurotic. And she basically said that she was surprised that I wasn't hooked on some sort of... But you Jesse Spanoed out? I didn't totally Jesse Spano out, but I kind of spiraled to where I didn't sleep for days on end. And I was at a theater conference and I was like falling asleep in the middle of shows and like in weird places because my body just tried to shut itself down. See, that's my issue with amphetamines. I don't like shit that makes it hard for me to go to sleep. That's the worst thing about this fucking flu. I felt like I really didn't sleep for like four days. Yeah. And just maybe last night, I really felt like I got some decent sleep. Yeah, I've only had like two nights of decent sleep in the past seven days. The the upper shit, the speed qualities, it's... When you're on Dayquil and NyQuil and steroids and stuff... You know, that that stuff, always right when you're on it, it seems like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But then when that shit has to come down, it's the worst. It's the fucking worst. Mm -hmm. It's just not my choice. But sometimes I'm too tired to clean the basement. It would be nice to just pop a pill and just, like, gladly do it. And it's a lot more socially acceptable for it to be something like Adderall or even Ritalin, which they talk about a little bit as well, than, say, I don't know, Coke I guess so. But this shit is only one chemical compound off from being actual meth. Yeah. And the shit that makes people like meth is the shit that's in Adderall. I feel like we're kind of all over the place with this, but this is Fuck very it. much a kind of documentary that's just kind of spouting facts at you and you're in, you're introduced to different people. The pace is very quick, which I feel is actually appropriate given what it's talking about. And I wrote down the the graphics person. Oh yeah, there was an and there were some animations that were actually I did not dislike the animations in this. Graphics by Blue Blue Spill. 
Good see, job, Loose Bill. You see what they did there? Oh. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, yeah, I thought they actually worked very well, were very stylish. And focused. It was consistent throughout the theme. Cool visuals, too. It's yeah. got a lot of points in this movie. So when they do the side animations and documentaries, it's, they so rarely feel like they belong there. Yeah. Even in movies where that's good and they show up, you got to often can't help but question it. Mm -hmm. But in this movie, they all were laid out and were shown in such an artful and deft way. I was pretty impressed with the graphics in this film. But yeah, we meet a lot of college kids. Ariana, Delaney, Jasper. I didn't write down any of their names. Lee. Everybody takes Adderall. Everybody. Was the one girl said at one point that she doesn't know anybody who has a prescription that doesn't also sell it and that there's this whole culture where you don't even think of it as using drugs. They were talking about uh, online forum to sell things. I'm, I'm assuming sort of like a Craigslist or something, but people are posting up things to buy and sell and somebody just posts up that they have these pills. Yeah. They don't even think about the fact that they're on a public forum talking about selling prescription drugs. It's so commonplace that no one thinks there's anything wrong with it. it hasn't come out yet but eventually we'll get to our 30 for 30 episode without bias about the story of Lynn bias and yes. his tragic death it talks about cocaine in the 80s mm-hmm. and how it peaked at that time and so many people were using cocaine that most people just really didn't think it was that big a deal until you know shit started getting heavy but these kids in their Ivy League school, they're never going to have to worry about a crackdown on that level. Well, no. I mean, what's happened? What did happen? Just to do history for a second. 1929 was when amphetamine was first created. The earliest article about college use of amphetamine to help you study, calling it the pep pill, was in a Time magazine in 1937. So in less than 10 years from it being literally discovered, it's being abused already. You know, we say we didn't hear about it happening when we were younger, but we just weren't the ones doing it. People were doing it because it's been being abused for 80 years at this point. The word pep was very big in this time. The comic book that introduced Archie to the world uh-huh. was called, I believe it was called Pep Comic. Oh. Yeah. This doctor who created it, name was Dr. Gordon Ellis, and he was actually trying to create an allergy medicine, which makes sense why then for so long, and even now, like, that's why you can't buy certain medications that are typically related to, like, sinus, like, Sudafed or whatever it is that actually has ephedrine like, and stuff. Yeah. Like, these sort of drugs that are made to make you feel good get put in like, cold medicine or allergy medicine because that feeling of feeling good sort of does like combat whatever kind of junk you're dealing with. The first thing that they put it out as was Benzedrine, which was one of those little like a tube that you snorted or you breathed in through the tube to clear your sinuses. When I was a kid, we had menthol tubes that looked just like that. Did you ever use those? I don't know if people still use those. Did you do the amphetamines when you was a baby? No, it wasn't amphetamines, but they were like these menthol tubes that looked just like these Benzedrine tubes where you would, it looked like a chapstick, but you would unscrew the whole thing and then sniff it. We were a Vicks VapoRub family. So immediately, as soon as this came out, folks started taking the gauze out of these things and just fucking chewing on it to get the amphetamines like straight into their body. In the mid 20th century, everyone was a total tweaker. And famous people too, like people who it was supposed to be an antidepressant and weight control and, you know, help all these different things. But there were also famous people doing it, which made it fucking cool. Like Charlie Parker and like Jack Kerouac. Jack Kerouac started doing amphetamines because he heard Charlie Parker and wanted his writing to have that like quick, upbeat, rhythmic progression. The Beatles song Dr. Roberts was about a doctor who was giving out amphetamines. Yes. And they love Dr. Robert. There was a Dr. Feelgood. Dr. Max Jacobson that was actually JFK's doctor at the time. So. That's like a Motley Crue song, I believe. Dr. Feelgood. 
Andy Warhol's whole gang was doing it. Of course. I mean, you know, they never slept. They just stayed up all night doing all kinds of things. But all this led to, so all this kept happening. It kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And that actually led to the Controlled Substances Act. So that's why I was getting to the whole thing about the crackdown is that the crackdowns already happened with this stuff, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. It hasn't mattered. So the crackdown was the, the crack- Controlled Substances Act. The crackdowns are happening to people who have no resources or money. And they were trying to combat the addiction by saying you can only get a certain amount of pills. But the fact that you have gone and said you need those pills and you're getting those pills doesn't mean you're taking them. Right. You're selling them. Doesn't mean you're not going to three doctors to get them. In addition to all these college students, there were also high-powered business people who we heard from. We heard from a woman who, Lily, in quotes, because she did not show her face, who works for like a startup in, I think, like Silicon Valley. There was an engineer that they talked to. There's a former NFL player who had an addiction. There was a guy who worked for a Fortune 500, and I can't find the name of the company. But basically, he said that he went to this doctor to get some so that he could keep up with the people on the left and right of him. You don't want anybody to know you go to this doctor. Because if anybody knows you go to this doctor, they'll think you can't handle your shit. But at the same time, you're expected to work around the clock and produce perfect. And most people are probably going to this doctor. Yeah, and you go to this doctor, and this doctor asks you a couple of questions, and you tell them where you work, and the doctor goes, oh, okay, cool. You're like an upstanding citizen. You obviously have your shit together. I'm going to give you whatever you need because you're not going to abuse it, I guess. Is the idea. He tells a story of going to this guy, see this doctor in Manhattan, mm-hmm. and he says that he works for Goldman Nutsacks. Oh. <laughs> says, doctor, I work for Goldman Nutsacks. And the doctor's like, oh, okay. Which kind of gives you insight on where this drug is mm-hmm. at a certain social class yeah. and how prominent it is. Drew and I talked about this. Drug abuse exists in every class and every culture. Absolutely. And you can find drugs everywhere. No one just goes to look for them at these upper echelons of society. Yeah. I mean, these girls, there's a girl who legitimately has been diagnosed with ADD and she has her pills. But she talks very frankly about struggling with the fact that she takes these pills so that she can ace a test. She knows if she doesn't take it, she's not going to do as well. And then later she feels guilty about not only did she really earn that grade because it wasn't just her, it was her and the medicine. But at the same time, she's also like, and also what is really the difference between what I'm doing and someone taking meth? None. None. And she knows that. But because it's a prescription medication, it's okay. It's so crazy that it's literally the same thing. It has the exact same reaction in your brain. It's doing the same thing. But meth is something that you consider like a rural problem, a poor person's problem, a you know, it's a it's a terrible blight on society. But then you have all these people who are supposed to be bright shining stars taking the same exact thing because they can't live up to the expectations that have been put upon them. Yeah. And they're like, oh, I'm not a whacked out person who is covered in scars. Their teeth are falling out. They don't realize there's a butter knife stuck in their shoulder blade. Their baby's dressed in a volleyball net. (laughs) That's not me. But you know what? But they still have a problem. But you continue the abuse and you will be not too far off. The opioid crisis has the exact same problem on its own end. Mm-hmm. It's people are like, well, a doctor prescribed me this. I have pain. This isn't like heroin. Yes, it's it actually is. heroin. Yeah. And it's actually better probably most of the time than the shit you would get off the street. They were talking too about methamphetamine is actually a drug that you could prescribe to people. Obviously, so is heroin. These are like drugs that... Like morphine. Morphine, yeah, versions of versions of the thing. But methamphetamine is technically something that you can prescribe, but no one will do it because of the stigma. But they'll give you amphetamines. One thing I did want to talk about was with the engineer and also the NFL player, they talk about how they felt like they weren't doing well enough in their own different worlds, at their own different situations. Evan is the name of that NFL player. Yes, Evan He's is... a smart dude. And our engineer friend that I also wanted to talk about's name is Nathaniel. He rides an electric unicycle. 
When I first saw him riding it, there's that that instinct to where I wanted to like throw a rock at him. Sure, sure. And then that immediately went away, and I was like, I want that fucking motorized unicycle. Like you would break your neck. It looked cool. It did look cool. You know, I'd knock my fucking teeth out, but (laughs) I'd love every second of it. So what I wanted to talk about with those two guys is, you know, for their own reasons, Eben started using it because he was an athlete and he was injured. He had a herniated disc and someone offered him one and he took it and it made him feel fine. He was no longer hurting. His brain felt clear. He could play better than he'd ever played before. He said it made him feel like he came back to life. So he immediately was like, I don't want to get in trouble. I need to get a prescription for this. So he goes to the doctor, gets a prescription. What's the term they use in sports? Um, if you are allowed to take medications like this? Oh, I can't remember. If you literally have ADHD or ADD, it's the same thing. That's the only time in professional sports you would be allowed to take this kind of stuff. It's um, a sports therapeutic use exemption. Yes. So he got that, and so he was allowed to take it. So on the opposite side, you have Nathaniel, who had been diagnosed with ADD when he was younger, but he tried the meds. He actually didn't like them, which is apparently very common. Young people, pre-puberty people, do not like this medication. It makes them feel weird, and they don't like it. But something happens in your body chemistry past puberty. This is one of the doctors talking about this. But then all of a sudden, it turns from oh, this makes me feel weird to, oh my God, this makes me feel powerful, which is then what happened to this guy too. He felt powerful and he felt like he could stay up all night and write code and he was doing such great things. But what happens is it's not enough. You can't just take five milligrams a day forever. Yeah, it has to increase. And he played for the NFL. Even did. And the and the NFL... It's you can either do the job or someone else is going to do it. So that pressure is just at the max point at that level of professional sports. Well, and he truly thought he needed it because he also was talking about how it made him better just in his life. He felt like he was a better husband. He was doing more things around the house. He was more focused on what needed to be done. His wife loved that he was on it. She thought this is the answer to him not being able to focus and not understanding. They'd been praying to Satan for a sign, (laughs) and they found it. That was not in the documentary. They might have been saying this. Eben described him his crashings would get more intense. Yes. And then he realized that even though he kept taking the pills, he got so strung out on them that he was essentially just constantly crashing. Yeah. Brutal. We meet a guy named Blue. He manages artists, a lot of hip-hop artists, I believe. Oh, yeah. And uh, he says that Adderall makes you a better capitalist, and it's easy to remember to call people back. He might be a guy that actually did have ADHD, but his mother, when he was a kid, was like, no, we're not putting any drugs into your body. She said he was diagnosed. Yeah. But she wouldn't do it. She was like, no, we're just going to work with this. And he, as an adult, decided to try Adderall, and it really helped him with his business. Yeah, it said it broke her heart a little bit. The reason she had tried to avoid it with him was because she was a special ed teacher, and she had seen, what she said was that she had seen the systemic misuse of drugs in young Black and Hispanic boys Mm -hmm. and kids. I think she said specifically boys, but she had seen that be a thing, like, to sort of tamp them down and like control them to put them on these meds. And so she didn't want that for her kid. She seemed like a good woman who really had wanted to help him. He still kind of was holding out hope that eventually he would get off of it. The uh, artist kid, I forget his name, but I like this kid. He's talked to the doctor about getting off this shit completely. And he's been on Adderall since the third grade. And he went to a Montessori school where he struggled very much. They said that he was having a hard time differentiating letters and numbers. I couldn't imagine. You know, I know my attention. I have attention problems as well. Mm-hmm. But damn, I, I don't have it like that. A third of kids will receive a diagnosis of ADHD before the age of six. And docs would base ADHD off of, they would do it like this. Let's give them the stimulant. If it works, they have ADHD. Yeah, it's always going to do something. (laughs) It's literally always going to do something. His mother said that she tried it out because she wanted to know what the effects were. And she goes, well, and I must have needed it too because it worked on me too. Like it works on everyone. It's going to make everybody feel something because it's heightening your whole system. This kid was saying that at one point he was, as a child, taking 50 milligrams a day. Gosh. Damn. 
And a lot of these upper level businessmen, they're going through and basically they're talking about their environments like everyone, quote unquote, has ADD. And so everyone takes a lot of Adderall. It's just everywhere. Blue, he talks about how he speaks very honestly. Yeah. He talks about how we live in an ADD society. Information technology is coming in so quickly that we're being forced to kind of process things on much quicker rate and that competitively everything is increasing. But I would argue that we are not good at that. And that's why we're all being stupid is because we can't process ourselves on the internet. Well, exactly. And that's the whole thing is. So everyone needs to just take Adderall. No, the whole thing is we need a better way to determine who actually needs it and who just can't keep up with the fucking way the world is today. They went to the history of Ritalin. And they showed this ad. It says, when reassurance isn't enough, Ritalin brightens the day. Oh, there's a Benzedrine ad, too, that said, suddenly, life was worth living. Oh, wow, that's got to be the most depressing fucking ad. That's terrible. Like, the Don Draper come up with that one? Oh, there are some clips. You get some pop culture shots. This shit, amphetamines are actually pretty ingrained into our culture and society and pop culture. We meet a lot of doctors, neurologists, clinical psychologists, a lot of smart people coming to give it to us straight. Mm -hmm. There are big bucks waiting for doctors who put these medicines into people's hands. Everyone's talking about the opioid epidemic. We're like 10 years too late talking about that shit. The damage is deep. You can see hints of the culture of amphetamines and Adderall, but this movie's really the first thing that's really pointed out. Yo, this is uh, maybe a, a big thing that we're not watching very much. And we of. need to get ahead of it now. But the truth is, this stuff seems to be culturally in this very insular society. While it does branch out everywhere, I mean, you can be at any class level, have ADD and have it prescribed to you. It just seems to be very much used by these high-end academic overachieving kids who come from very privileged backgrounds. Yeah, Silicon Valley people, people in high-powered jobs. Stock people on Wall Street. One of the doctors they talk to is Dr. Connors. He's actually sort of the guy who got it started with Johns Hopkins of testing this and going into schools and doing trials on students, basically. Like they would call up a high school and say, hey, we have this medication that we think calms kids down. And the principal's like, get on over here. We could, <laughs> these kids could use some calming down. And so they give the kids either the amphetamine or a placebo to test them, but they're literally doing trials of this stuff on high school kids. Through all the tests that they did, he created, oh, they called them math pills because when they were on the meds, they were better at math. They could focus in and like understand, which is insane to me. This is what I'm saying. I, I need, want some. I need this shit. <laughs> he was talking about though that he created this test and it shows this test a couple of times. These questions are tons of questions like, I talk too much. I can't focus on a task. Are you 13? <laughs> but so he did this test that is apparently still being used today. One of the college girls talks about having taken this test to get her prescription. He actually now regrets the part he played in normalizing it so much. Because there can be a direct line drawn from the tests that he did and that were done through Johns Hopkins. Direct line to the problem today. He thinks that it can be a good thing, but he feels bad about how much it's been misused. We get some uh, side effects. There's, of course, it's highly addictive, Adderall is, and there's cardiovascular risks. And you can have psychotic episodes when you abuse this shit. Yeah. And that does not just come from people who have a history of that stuff. Right. I imagine if you have a history of that shit and you do a lot of this shit. Oh, my God. Man, if you have a history of psychotic episodes, maybe don't take Adderall. They pointed out that... Overdosing on alcohol is very easy when you're on these types of stimulants. Right. Because the stimulants can trick you into thinking that you've got your shit totally handled. That's the thing with these like uppers is that they make you think that everything you're doing is amazing. And then it run, wears off and you're in a blackout. There's a story that our guy from Goldman Sachs talks about where he basically stayed up for two days straight with a fellow co-worker trying to complete a report. Wait, where did he work? Goldman Sachs. Uh, How do you say it? Goldman Nutsacks. That place. And he 
talks about how these two people, he worked with this guy on this project and they handed in and it wasn't what he wanted. And his response to his boss was, fuck you. It is what you asked for. I just stayed up for two days doing it. He goes home and sleeps for a few hours. Here's that the guy he stayed up with had a seizure and had to go to the hospital. He goes and visits the guy in the hospital and the guy in the hospital is like, my parents are trying to get me to stop taking the meds, but I need them because I'm already being asked for more reports. <laughs> well, he's in the he was in the hospital and his job was still going, I need this from you and I need this from you and I need this from you. So there's this expectation. It's like a cyclical issue that I feel like we have in this country Without even thinking about the meds, just this idea of how much we are supposed to spend our lives at our jobs and how dedicated we're supposed to be and how people are a lot of times on call, even when they're supposed to be home. And that's even for not super high powered positions across the country. And then you get these positions that are making a ton of money and there's high stakes. People feel pressure to be able to work 16 hour days and not sleep and meet these deadlines that are absolutely preposterous. But because they're doing it, it's expected that they can. One of the doctors that we, the few that we talked to in this movie, he points out that it's a big misconception that Adderall makes you smarter. This was super interesting. It actually just helps you be more alert and it can make you very confident and it can help you focus, sure. But confidence will often make people think that they're being smarter when really there's no studies that show this stuff can enhance your cognitive capabilities. It just takes away your doubt. If you're taking a test and you're not sure if it's A or B, this medicine helps you be more confident in the answer that you probably know is right. This stuff just sounds like cocaine. I kept thinking that too. When you're on cocaine, you think everything you're doing is amazing. Yeah. And if you do it too much for a really long time, you'll freak the fuck out. It'll dehydrate the shit out of you. It just seems like this it will... It could totally kill you. Yeah. If you... Long, you need more and more and more to get high. We meet these uh, two business dorks who make more money than I'll ever see in my life. They're trying to develop this pill called Optimine, which is brain-enhancing drugs. And brain-enhancing drugs are now starting to become more and more commercialized. Yeah, and their whole thing is that they're doing an over-the-counter version so that you can go straight to them and you don't need a doctor. And they also talk about something that's been growing quite a bit that people have been treating themselves with as opposed to going this route. And people who have found a good alternative for this kind of stuff is they're doing this thing called microdosing, where right. they take... A psychedelic drug that's in a low dose, not enough to make you straight up hallucinate. What the point is, I don't know. But <laughs> but it kind of helps to regulate people. Dr. Albert Hoffman, who was very infamous in LSD studies, he had stated long ago that low-dose LSD is very under-researched and that these psychedelics can be very helpful in treating people so long as you don't give them so much that they wig the fuck out. But sometimes it's fun to wake the fuck out. That actually made me think about some of the stuff that's going on right now across the country. You know, there's some states where marijuana is legalized, but then there's also some places where you can just buy CBD. And it's sort of that same idea is that if you are going to do CBD without THC, that it's going to basically be like the calming effects of marijuana without the getting high part. Eben, the former NFL star, he now meditates. He's he's not been on Adderall since leaving the NFL. Yeah. And he's been inspired to write by Brett Easton Ellis. Probably that rat torture scene from American Psycho. I'm sure he read that. He mentioned less than zero oh, pretty specifically, which is a very drug I have it's a very drug heavy book. I uh, mean, so that's kind of the whole thing is that it's just bender after bender. The mother whose son has ADHD, really had, she had some problems with the young man. He, she said he stole her car at 15. And she's very on him to take his meds. He had to go live with his father in New Jersey. The artist boy, we see him tattooing himself at one point. You know what? If I had a kid, man, this is the kind of kid I want. Yeah. Did you notice, himself. though, that his knuckles, he had tattooed Bugs Life? He loves that movie, I guess. I guess. Maybe it means something else to him. Sure. Uh, but yeah, he was really cool. He was also tattooing someone else at one point, but it was so cool because he was doing the homemade tattoo, but it was so artistic and like beautiful. His handwork is very good. So good. He discusses... 
total change of personality when he finally was able to get off the drug. And his mother, and he always resented being on the drug. And yeah. his, we talked to his mother in the movie too. And she said, you know, I know a part of him will always be angry at me for making him take that drug, but someone has to be the heavy. And no doubt this kid had serious ADD issues. And I think the way he thought artistically and the way he wanted to represent himself was the things that he felt like that drug was hindering a great deal. Well, and it's hard because like, this isn't even a hindsight's 2020 situation. You don't know where you would have been. She doesn't know what would have happened to him if she hadn't put him on the meds. She said that he might not be where he is now. You can say that he had severe ADD, but I don't know that he necessarily did when you think about the situation in which he was originally diagnosed. He was going to a Montessori school. He was What different. is a Montessori school? Is that some bullshit thing? I don't know. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't know. I would like to tell you now what I think it is, but I could be completely <laughs> oh, be wrong. Fun. This is how I don't you know. You tell me what you think it is, and then I'll tell you what I think it is. I think a Montessori school is one of those schools that's you have to obviously apply to get into it. You don't just automatically get into a Montessori school. You have to be accepted into this school. And my uneducated view of what a Montessori school is, is that it's that kind of school where the kid kind of can choose what they want to learn mm. and you get graded in like stars and rainbows. Mm. Mm. But I know that's not true, but I always think of that episode of Arrested Development where it's like smiley faces and not really grades. That's what I think of when I think of Montessori school, but like a more holistic way of learning. Here's what I think it is. Okay. It was founded by a guy named Billy Montessori. <laughs> okay. And he had all these hippie <laughs> kids come into a building and he's like, man, we're going to do a school, man. And I'm going to teach y'all how to do coffee enemas. We won't get vaccinated for any reason ever. And we'll color outside the line. And then like he would go around and they would hug for like, 20 seconds they talk about their feelings and shit and if kids said anything like i think the world is run by dinosaurs made of cheese then the teacher would say something like you're so imaginative yeah. i don't know that you're not wrong there is a part where one of the doctors says that it's crazy to him that people take meds like this now because in the 70s, you took meds to escape when you were in college, and now you take meds to plug in. The term dropping out was very was very big back then. Become a dropout. Our artist friend was in the Montessori school, and the teachers were basically like, he is different than the other children. And maybe he was acting out, but he's an artistic kid. Teacher has meeting with mother. Suggests, like, maybe the kid needs to be on meds. Boy, when the Montessori school is telling you you're different... The teacher said every other child in his class was already medicated. Uh, this is why I don't necessarily, who knows if he really needed it or not. Hmm. He was made to take it to fit in. Not all kids fit in. So what if his brothers and sisters got on great there? Maybe Montessori wasn't the right kind of school for him. And real cautious, because you don't know what the line is. Like That's what they keep saying is you don't know what the line is between people who actually need it. Because it's going to alter everyone's behavior. One of the businessmen says, if enough people see that their competition is using this drug, then they will use it too. And that will cycle and go further and yep. further out. And a doctor, this isn't verbatim, isn't verbatim is the unofficial motto of the documentary. <laughs> right. He says, what is the cost of this material progress that that is being fueled by this drug. And what are we going to lose by the abuse of this drug? He questions where creativity will be after the use of drugs like this. Where does it lie between what is natural and in terms of what we are able to make? What is going to be compromised about ourselves becoming very reliant on these amphetamines and Adderalls? Considering this is the first movie we've really seen that's really delving into it, Seems like we might not truly know the results for a long time. There's a woman who's kind of an expert throughout the thing. I loved it because at the end, she's kind of talking about what you're talking about, but talking about how when you're on these meds, you're perfect all the time or you're trying to be perfect all the time and you're going at these high speeds and you're moving through your life and you're so plugged in. But then 
and then she loses her thought. And I loved that so much because that happens to me. That has happened to me during this recording, whether that stayed in this recording or not, that happened to me during this recording. And it's just such a human moment. But that's exactly her point. You miss those human moments. Mm -hmm. Not everything is going to be perfect. And if you're moving so fast and focused in on one thing, what are you missing? You know, if she just popped an Addy, she would have remembered it. (laughs) She seemed like a very intelligent, very well put together person. (laughs) I think she's totally fine (laughs) having her feelings. But yeah, that's pretty much our film. Take your pills, people. Take your pills. By Allison Clayman. You can watch this on Netflix right now. Yeah, it's new. Yeah, it's very new. Netflix is a very popular place for us to watch our documentaries. We've loved Netflix for a long time for that reason. But we got some hot HBO docs coming around the corner, so get ready for that. We'll probably get back into some more true crime on the next episode. Now, Angela, we don't rate in the star rating. Stars are garbage. Stars can't afford to take Adderall like we can. Stars are doing meth in the corner. They're freebasing like candy wrappers in an alley. We prefer the Adderall-worthy Herzog ratings. Mm. It doesn't look like Werner has ever taken Adderall in his life. You think think Werner Herzog's ever taken an Adderall? No, no, no. I don't don't think so. I don't think he needs it. Uh -uh. I think whether he's tired or not, he's still like engaged as he's going to be engaged. Mm Mm-hmm. But we rate things in our on the Werner Herzog rating scale. I will give this movie a one through five Herzogs. You will give it one through five Herzogs. We will combine our Herzogs. They will transform into an Optimus Prime of one through ten Herzogs. A Herzog Prime score, if you will. Angela, what do you think about this very educational movie? It was a very educational movie. I think it is important to shine a light on this growing epidemic, which I had no idea was such a huge thing, which is why I wanted to do this. I saw the preview, homesick this week, watching a ton of Netflix, saw the preview for this and immediately said, we need to watch this just because. And so why not take notes while we watch it? But immediately was interested because I, I had no idea that it was such a huge thing. It's not surprising. It shows up in pop culture. It's not surprising that kids do it. It's surprising the amount that they do it. I liked a lot of things about this movie. There was a point, though, it's an hour and a half long. It could have been a little shorter. There was a point over an hour in when I'm pretty sure I put my notebook down and said, how much longer is this? (laughs) Maybe I needed an Adderall. But I think because of the fast pace of it and because it kept moving back and forth, It was really trying to convince you that this is a problem. And I think that that is necessary. But I don't know. I just think it could have been trimmed a little bit. I did not mind the animation. The animation was fine. I thought the people that they talked to were very interesting and good. You never saw the filmmaker. No, I think there might have been one time where the filmmaker asked a question. But it was very brief and it was totally appropriate. Because you were really just hearing the response. It was when she asked one of the doctors if they'd ever tried it. And that is actually something to mention because that Dr. Connor, who created the test, Mm -hmm. said he did try it once. And he loved it. And he loved it. And never touched it again. Never again. And that alone should be, it's one of those things like it's too dangerous. It's too much. It's not necessary. Like, yes, it's amazing. But do you really want to live that way 100% of the time? I'm going to say three and a half. Three and a half out of five hertz huh? Yeah. I also learned quite a bit. There was a lot to like about this movie. It really is important if you're going in to watch this documentary as to view it specifically as an educational documentary. Yeah. Definitely something. It's not trying to follow a day in the life kind of a scenario. Mm-hmm. It's not like some weird story that it's recounting. It's just a lot of experiences and a lot of clinical talk mm-hmm. and a lot of history of this drug where it comes from, and why it's in our society. A lot of the science, too. We didn't get into that bit, but they do explain, like, chemical makeup and the different medications and Ritalin versus Adderall versus... Right. And it's super interesting to me how... I said this at the beginning, is that usually people don't really give a fuck about this stuff until it reaches 
these kids that we see in these more mm-hmm. affluent societies, that's when people start to care. But this drug is different. A parent is looking at their kid like, Apple Blossom sure is taking a lot of those pills, but she did really good at her violin recital. It's very much that kind of a scenario. Mm-hmm. And you know that bitch's name is Apple Blossom. <laughs> Those animations were really good. I think some of the best I've seen in a documentary in terms of graphics and design, I think people should check it out. And it's very artful. And there's a lot of smart stuff the way they transitioned into it. Yeah. But it was a very fast-paced movie. I really did have to also make myself focus. We really could have used some Adderall <laughs> when watching this movie because there was a lot going on. But that pace, you can tell, uh, just makes so much sense for a film about Adderall abuse. And I think there is a lot to like about this movie, but it is far from perfect. Mm -hmm. But it is very informative. Yeah. And while I would rate this essentially about, I'm going to match you, a 3.5 Herzog. I think that's a very fair rating. That makes it 7 out of 10 total Herzogs. Yeah. I think it's a very good score for this movie. Even though we may not have been very close to perfect with this one, if you don't know much about this... Give this a watch. You will yeah. you will learn some things. You won't have to you don't have to make yourself take notes. You can just kind of relax and just take a moment. <laughs> take your pills by Allison Clayman, available now, streaming on Netflix, the informative documentary on Adderall abuse, seven out of ten Herzogs. Angela. Yes. It's been a pleasure. When we next record, we'll we will be completely free of flu symptoms. Gosh, I hope so. I've seen my voice is gone. I think I'm an octave lower than I was when we started. You sound adorable when you lose your voice. (laughs) All right, folks. Give that Addy a rest and keep on docking. (laughs) Everyone's talking about the opioid academic. Everyone's talking about the op- opioid app. <laughs> Why the fuck can't I say that?